What does it mean when we say that God is pure actuality? We don't really need to put our thinking caps on today. This is a pretty easy concept to understand, and we're going to talk about it today on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. everybody and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, October the 15th of 2008 and I'm your host Toby Logsdon and of course today being a Wednesday we are continuing our series called Knowing God and the purpose of this study is to know God. Basically we're studying God's attributes one at a time. Uh, there might be a couple lessons ahead where we, we might take two attributes in one lesson. But uh, but really, we're, we're just going through God's attributes and seeing what we can know about God. So anyway, welcome to our second lesson. And this is actually uh, kind of our, our first lesson. We did the introduction, and this is the first attribute that we're going to be studying today. Now, as you guys know, if you've been listening to the, the recent podcasts, uh, I'm recording these way in advance. Uh, or not way in advance, but like a few days in advance. And like I said, we're not going to skip a beat while I'm uh, in the middle of moving to Arkansas. I do want to tell you guys real quick, we're not going to have a Q&A this week. We will have one next week, uh, next Friday, uh, assuming that Justin uh, doesn't post. If he does post, then I'll pull back and we can do it the following week after that. But uh, as far as I know right now, um, you know, I don't know when the next time Justin will be posting, but so no Q&A this week, but we will have it next week. This weekend, I'm actually going to be in Arkansas. I'm going to go out there and drop my car off and fly back so that we can move everything out there uh, without having to tow my car, uh, which to me just seems like a total nightmare. But Anyway, hope you guys are having a fantastic week. Let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you for any opportunity to get to know you better. Lord, I know this concept that we're covering today is something that has confused a few modern thinkers and uh, and some other people throughout history. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would give us clarity of mind today in order that we could get to know you better, in order that we could understand this about you. Lord, our purpose is to glorify you in everything that we do. And to do that better, we want to know you better. So I pray that that would be done today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the most important aspects of God's nature is the starting point of this study, uh, and that is God's pure actuality. Now, don't be intimidated by that term. We're going to go through it, and uh, it's not as complicated as a lot of people have made it. Uh, This is actually a philosophical term, which is a little difficult for some people to understand at first, but that can probably be attributed to the fact that uh, the term actuality uh, is a philosophical term, which is you know, also used in common language in a slightly different way. But all actuality means is that which is actual, or that which simply is. In other words, it just means that the object which is said to have act, or actuality, is something which exists in the fullest extent it possibly can. And this is in direct contrast to anything which has passive potentiality. Now, when we talk about potentiality, we're talking about things which have a potential for either change or they have potential for existence, but which do not actually uh, at this point exist or at a certain point exist. So with that in mind, 
we can say that pure actuality refers to anything which exists and which has no possibility or no potential of not existing and no possibility or potential of being something other than that which it already is. In other words, let me try to put this in simple language for you guys. In other words, it's something which A, exists, and B, cannot not exist, and C, cannot have the potential to change. Now, we say that God has no passive potential in his being because he cannot not exist, and he cannot be something other than that which he already is. He is unchanging, and therefore he has no passive potential within him. He is pure actuality, but God does have active potential, which just means basically that God has the ability to do things, such as create, which are consistent uh, and in harmony with his attributes. Hey, did I warn you guys, or did I not, uh, in the previous lesson, that there would be a lot of philosophical terminology used as we go through this study? There's, there's a fair amount of philosophical terminology being used. But, you know, if you don't understand what pure actuality is at this point, just go back and, uh, you know, go through what we've just covered. It really does make sense. It's just really a complex way of saying that God exists without the potential to ever change in his attributes. Uh, and the reason for that is because he is eternal, which is, of course, another attribute that we'll be covering. And if God has existed uh, eternally, or for an infinite time span, he would have already exhausted any potential for change that he had within himself. You know, anything which is eternal must therefore be unchanging makes sense to me. But, you know, this is a self-evident truth which can be arrived at independently of, uh, of knowing about God. You know, once a person grasps this principle and yet sees the world around them in a constant state of, you know, flux and a constant state of change, they realize that the world can't be eternal. And this is one of the many uh, great proofs of God's existence, by the way. If you ever want to really, you know, soak your mind into that, that is one of the great proofs for God's existence. Well, that's enough philosophy for just a moment. You know, I'll let you guys take a little bit of a breather and uh, get your bearings straight again while we talk about what the Bible says about God being pure actuality. And we can also say that God has pure actuality, by the way, because every attribute that God has is something that he is. One of his attributes, for example, is love, and the Bible affirms for us, and we can say that God is love. That's just an example. But anyway, let's see what the Bible says about God being or having pure actuality. First of all, God exists and has always existed separately from everything else in existence. The first verse of the Bible affirms that God existed before anything else. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read that in the beginning, God created in Psalm 90, verse 2, we read that before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Uh, similarly, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, we read that he is before all things. Before anything existed, in other words, before anything existed, there was God, and there was only God. God. So we can say that God's existence is not contingent upon anything else. Uh, yet the existence of everything else other than God is contingent upon his existence. In other words, it depends on his existence. So while God exists independently of and prior to all things, 
all things are dependent on God existing in order for everything else to exist. And that's because God is the cause of all things, which can be said to have existed, to exist now, or to potentially exist in the future. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 21, we read that God created every living and moving thing. In John chapter 1, verse 3, we read that through him, all things all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Romans 11.36 tells us that from him and through him and to him are all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 6 tells us that there is only one God, the Father, from whom are all things and we exist because of him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. And then in Colossians again, chapter 1, verse 16, we read that by him all things were created. All things were created by him and for him. Now, obviously, there is a theme here. That is that God exists independently of everything else. And that's basically all it means to say that God is pure actuality. And this is clearly something that the Bible teaches over and over and over throughout the Bible. And there's a, a very simple argument called the Kalam argument, which goes something like this. Everything which begins to exist has a cause. Everything in the universe, including the universe itself, began at a certain point in time. Therefore, the universe has a cause for its existence, and we believe that that cause is God. And this argument doesn't work when somebody tries to apply it to God, and that's uh, that's the most frequent objection you'll get to it. They'll say, well, you know, then where did God come from? But it doesn't apply to him, because there was never a point in time in which God came to exist. There was never a point prior to his existence. He has existed eternally, apart from and independently of everything else. And not only that, but everything which has existed, which does exist, or which will exist in the future, existed or exists only because God caused those things to exist. Without God existing, nothing else would ever exist. And this is a tough concept for the atheists to wrap their mind around, and to be honest, this is something that they simply don't have a comprehensive response to. And this is an attribute of God. Pure actuality is an attribute of God, which follows necessarily from a lot of God's other attributes as well, such as his aseity, his necessity, and his eternality. But, you know, these are things which we're going to cover as we go along. One person asked me, uh, you know, when I, when I announced that we were going to be doing this study, if God's core attribute was that God is holy. Well, what we're going to see as we go through this study is that God doesn't have a core attribute. Rather, all of God's attributes flow from one another and are in perfect harmony with one another. He doesn't have one attribute which trumps another. You know, a lot of theologians, uh, particularly hyper-Calvinists, will implicitly argue that God doesn't have to be just because he is sovereign. Well, when we object to hyper-Calvinism by noting that it would be unjust of God to save some, but not to try to save others, they will typically respond by saying something like this. They'll say, well, God is sovereign. Uh, but what we'll see as we go through this study is that God's sovereignty does not trump his justice, and that none of God's attributes trump any other of his attributes. They're all in perfect harmony with each other, because if you deny even one of them, what you'll see is that you end up denying all of them. So as we go through God's attributes, we'll see how they tie in to God's pure actuality. 
but hopefully by now your your brain has had a little bit of a chance to recover and to catch up with everything that we've talked about. Uh, you guys know I try to, you know, put these lessons into, you know, try to fit them into about 25 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes, and uh, some of the stuff that we're talking about here is a little bit complex, but just remember that when we talk about God's pure actuality, really what we're saying is that God just exists independently of everything else, and he can never be something that he already is not. So, uh, you know, at this point, let's go ahead and talk about some of the objections we might be confronted with when we're talking about God having pure actuality. Well, first of all, remember that I said that if something or someone is pure actuality, it means that there is no passive potential. So some of you are probably wondering how it's possible to say that God has no potential since he has done things like create the universe, you know, or he sent Jesus to die for our sins, and so on and so forth. If he has no potential, then how can he actually do anything? And in response, we have to clarify that when we say that God has no potential, uh, we, we mean that he cannot become something that he is not already. He has the potential to do things he's not already done, but he cannot be something that is different in any sense or to any degree than he is and always has been. We don't dispute the notion that God performs actions, but doing or creating or engaging in things does not change who or what he already is. This would be just a matter of confusing what God is with what God does. So it's in that sense that God has no potential. Now, a second objection um, I found as I was reading one philosopher's critique of God being pure actuality. Uh, This philosopher had, had said that affirming that God is pure actuality was a very opaque concept and argued that it didn't make any sense to say that one must have actuality, in other words, existence, uh, before they have potential. After all, according to this uh, this philosopher, potential is necessary for something to go from non-existence to existence. Well, no wonder, you know, he thought it was an opaque concept, right? Uh, in response, actuality does not precede potential, and potential does not precede actuality when we're talking about uh, things, like uh, finite things. Instead, when we're talking about finite created things and finite created beings, potentiality was created in conjunction with its actuality. It was created at the same time. Potentiality comes in the same package as actuality for all finite things. Uh, Us, for example, you know, we didn't have any potential to exist before we actually existed, unless you mean that we had potential to exist uh, by the active power of God. But no, it isn't difficult to understand the concept that God exists separately from and independently of all things. Now, before we close, I just want to let it be known that we will try to end each lesson with a discussion of, uh, you know, maybe cults or, or other religions which deny the attributes that we discuss. And in this way, we'll be better equipped to confront the false beliefs of those groups. So the first group, uh, and this shouldn't come as a surprise, uh, considering our last uh, our last uh, series that we just did on the essentials, but our first group is Mormons. Now, Mormons are one group which inherently and explicitly deny God's pure 
actuality. For the Mormons, God is not eternal. Rather, they believe that before God became God, he was a man, just like you and me. He was a good man, and that's how he became exalted to his current state as God. They believe that God was a man who had a human father and mother, and that, uh, you know, his father and mother had a father and mother, and so on and so forth. At no time in eternity past was there ever a God, according to Mormon theology, who was everlasting in the sense that he had no beginning and no end. Rather, according to Mormon theology, you know, they teach that there is an infinite regress throughout history. Uh, in other words, you can just go back and go back and go back and go back for all of infinity, uh, tracing different gods, an infinite sequence of gods. However, as we noted, and the, you know, we'll also see in the in some of the lessons to follow, if there are things or beings with potential, there must also be a being with no potential. Wherever you find things whose existence is contingent, there must be a necessary being which nothing is prior to. All things in the world and the universe are contingent things. They're finite. Their existence depends on something coming prior to them. So therefore, there must be something, uh, a first uncaused cause. So by denying the eternality of God, Mormonism denies God's pure actuality. They deny that he exists apart from and independently of everything else. Uh, a second group is the New Age. The New Age also denies the pure actuality of God. A lot of New Age philosophy and uh, pseudo-theology is pantheistic or panentheistic. Pantheism uh, asserts that all things are parts of God. Uh, a pantheist would tell you that the ocean, for example, is part of God, or that we are part of God. Uh, and panentheism believes that God is in all things. And clearly, you know, whichever position, you know, you're, you're talking about here, they deny the fact that God is prior to all things. Instead, these are teachings that, uh, that teach that God is temporal, because things which are material are temporal. You know, if God either is the grass in my front yard, for example, or if he is in the grass, then God is in a constant state of change. My grass is, you know, always either growing, you know, in the summer and in the in the spring, or going into hibernation in the winter and in the fall. So further, there was a time when, you know, the grass in my yard, for example, didn't exist at all. Instead, the grass in my yard, like all material things, has potential. Uh, it can go out of being and thus no longer exist. It can change. It, it can do all kinds of things. And further, this New Age philosophy offers no answers for why anything exists at all. They can see just as plainly as you can see, just as plainly as I can see, that everything is dependent on something prior to ourselves for our existence, and yet they deny the existence of a necessary being. Hmm... So, yeah, the New Age philosophy, the New Age movement, they definitely deny God's pure actuality. And the same can be, uh, can be truly said of atheists as well. They deny the existence of uh, a necessary being, uh, which is what God is, and yet they can empirically observe that all material things are contingent, that they depend on something prior to their existence for their existence. Well, we know that it's logically impossible for material to have existed forever. The atheist knows that things have not existed for an infinite span of time prior to this point, but they deny that something non-material and independent 
of the physical and natural world brought everything into being. You know, even if somebody wants to believe that we evolved out of primordial soup, for example, you know, how do they explain where the primordial soup came from? Uh, You know, they just keep pushing the envelope back and back and back and back. So, you know, how do they explain where the primordial soup came from? Well, simply, they don't try to explain it at all. They frequently simply settle for the answer that they don't know where everything came from. Uh, you know, or, or one, of the, uh, one of the other answers that evolutionists and atheists will occasionally give is that we might have been put here by alien life forms. Hmm, you know, that doesn't really answer the question, though, does it? That just passes the hot potato because it doesn't provide a comprehensive answer for where the aliens came from. Okay, even if aliens did, you know, put us here, where did they come from? And, you know, where did the things which preceded those aliens come from? I mean, it, it just uh, it doesn't answer any questions at all. But, you know, in closing, both logic and scripture affirm that God existed prior to and independently of all things, and that all things were created by God. It is impossible for anything with potential to exist unless there is something or someone outside of everything else which has no potential for change. Nothing which has a beginning to its existence can exist on its own without there being a God who is pure actuality, a God who exists separately from all of creation. One cannot affirm that everything simply came from nothing, because what comes from nothing? Well, nothing comes from nothing. Yet there are all kinds of things, so therefore these things must have come from something. Scripture and nature alike reveal to us that the something that all things come from is God. And this is why we affirm that God is and has pure actuality. He exists apart from and independent of everything else. And he has no potential to change who he is or what he is. So I hope this makes some sense to you guys. I realize that uh, that some of the terminology here is, is really tricky and kind of kind of difficult to grasp. But, uh, you know, as long as you can grasp the concept that God exists independently of everything else and that he's unchanging uh, because he exists apart from everything else, uh, you're good to go. So anyway, if you have any questions, feel free to email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. I also do want to remind you guys that we do still have some stickers available. So if you want a sticker, I'll be happy to send you one. Just uh, email me with your uh, with your mailing address and I'll get one in the mail to you. So anyway, uh, again, I hope all this made sense to you guys today. Give your brains a little bit of a rest and uh, God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a para-ministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a non-profit, listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. 
We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Thank you.